0: Hello children, it's lovely to see you today. Welcome to episode 20 of the Different Doctor, Same Old Pooh podcast. Today, we're going to watch a very fun programme called Doctor Who and talk about it. There are robots and aliens in it, but don't be frightened, it's only pretend. I'm Mo from France. France is a different country, just across the sea from England. Can you spell France for me? Yes, that's right. F, R, A, M, Curly C, E. Well done. Sitting next to me with his big teddy bear and lovely pyjamas, it's Dr L. How are you today, Doctor?
1: I'm very well, thank you, Mo. I've been having a lovely time playing in the garden with my garden hose. I've been (laughs) sprinkling plants with water.
0: Good. And why were you doing that, Doctor L?
1: Because it's been a warm day and I was worried that the plants would dry out. Because oh. plants need water.
0: Wow, that's absolutely fabulous. I think we should all give Doctor L a nice big round of applause. Well done, Doctor L. And I don't know I don't know why that came to me, Doc. I don't know why that came to me.
1: No, I I mean, what what could you have possibly have been doing in the last twenty four hours? Put you in the frame of mind of um, fucking play school programs for younger viewers.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What have you been up to, Doc?
1: Um, watering plants.
0: Yeah, have you really?
1: Yes, (laughs) I've really seriously been watering plants. Yeah. Um, I don't have very many. Um, and. In other lives, um, such as my ability to care for plants, that people have been known to 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 call me Agent Orange.
0: Mm. (laughs) Well, I've I've certainly got a black thumb. You know, people refer to being green fingered. I am the exact opposite. I have never, ever, managed to keep a plant alive that I've deliberately been given. You know, kind of stewardship over.
1: Um, No, I mean I, I. I, I think I am um, a one person ecological disaster. <laughs>
0: My housemates have got a lovely. Um, it's a, it's a small garden, but you know, but but they, they care for it well. They tend to their to their plants. They've got a lovely vegetable plot. They grow potatoes, runner beans, strawberries, other things as well that I can't remember. Um, and I but I have warned them. I've said, look, you know, no matter what, do not ask me. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll clean the toilet. I'll clean the kitchen. I'll do any. You know, I'll clean the fucking oven. I don't care. Don't ask me to help in the garden because all life shall
1: perish. Um, I was on the point of quoting Sutek.
0: Oh, oh yes, of and course. Go on, Doc, Go on up.
1: Well, uh, because literally where I tread, I leave mm. nothing but dust and ash. Use your powers for evil. <laughs> Your evil is my good. I am sutek the Destroyer. Where I tread, I leave nothing but dust and darkness. I find that good. Very early on in the first Lord of the Rings film, where one of the Nazgul arrives on his horse and gets off his horse, and wherever he walks, all of the fresh vegetation and the flowers die and rot and turn to Luquescence. <laughs> in fact. Yeah, uh, yeah. They got that from me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No. Though it, it it is it, it's absolutely that from me. Yeah, it, it is absolutely terrible. Um, Doc, I've got some good news. I've got a job. What do you think of that? Goodness gracious me! How um, about that?
1: Congratulations.
0: Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I've, I've been
1: congratulations.
0: Thank you. As you know, I've been I've been applying in, in earnest for two or three months now. And, um, you, you know, all hope seemed lost at one point, but, you know, then the gods smile on you. Um, so, at some point starting in the next week or two, I'll be merrily trundling around leafy Warwickshire delivering groceries to, hopefully, happy customers. Very good. There we go, sir. Um, corrections time. We've got a couple. And I'm sorry, Doc. I think, you, I think you're culpable for both of them. I do apologise. I'm not picking on you. Honest um in the fall to doomsday if i both come from the same episode in the fall to doomsday episode the doctor said that you you being the doctor dr l said that chris bailey of kinder fame was the one unidentified pseudonymed writer if you'll allow me to verbify such a word as you know doc as as, as a one-time english teacher i think it's important to use correct english words like verbify um the only unidentified pseudonym writer in Who. Now, of course, that's not true. Um, and in fact, we, we've already covered our back because we we talked that's about it in the last episode, Attack of the Cybermen, when we chatted about Paula Moore. So we're okay there, Doc. But I just thought it was worth mentioning. Um,
1: yeah, fair call.
0: That's it, yeah. Um, in the same episode, Dr L stated confidently with a puffed-out chest uh, that the title sequence included the word episode and not part as in episode one not part one from the jNT period onwards now I've done a bit of digging doc. Um I've delved into my into my huge library of, of DVDs that are downloaded from torrent sites um, sadly doc this is not true in fact it's not true at all let me give let me gi- let me give you the skinny um in fact the word used was episode right up right from the start up until the end of season 10 so the last story the last episode that featured the word episode was the green death episode 6 um it then switched to part from the start of season 11 so that's the time warrior part one that was the first one to be labeled such and this would continue right up until the end of the classic era room now of course it's not relevant for the modern show because there's no two-part stories where the episodes don't carry an individual episode title, so for example, you've got a two part uh, like Rise of the Cybermen and the Age of Steel, Daleks in Manhattan, and Evolution of the Daleks. So they don't do the episode and part thing. Um, but I thought that was interesting just to just to verify actually, don't, you know, not, not to give you a kick in, just to just to get
1: our facts straight, really. Um, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it, how, how you can have evidence of something and mm. not merely evidence of it, you can have the thing itself paraded before your eyes, yeah. And once an idea gets into your head, um, you don't notice it. I've watched the opening title sequences of Doctor Who tens of thousands of times, I would say. Of course, yeah. Uh
0: Same here. Um, I didn't know.
1: um, Whenever I think of the 70s, or or like pre-1977 Doctor Who, and I try to pick out the frame in my mind, Yeah. Um, which has the, the episode title card on it. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that always comes to mind for whatever reason, it's always the title sequence to very specifically the Time Warrior. Um, and I run through that title sequence in my mind, um, and the little dots come flying out of the centre of the screen, mm-hmm. and then the Slick um, and then the, the the animated shape of John Pertwee, and John Pertwee's face. Um, and then you get the spiky tunnel. And yeah. then it comes up, pop, one.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. And he does. The the, the Time Warrior does. That was the first episode where that's true.
1: Isn't that amazing, though? Because I've evidently interpolated Mm -hmm. that one piece of evidence, both backwards and forwards in time.
0: Yeah. Well, I have the same kind of false memory. You know, I'm convinced that I have seen that, you know, the the, the Peter Davison title, I, I know Tom had it for one season, but let's call it the Peter Davison title sequence. I'm convinced that I've seen the word episode kind of written in that, you know, where, where, where it's like the white outline and it's, yes. it's transparent. I'm absolutely convinced that I've seen that. But honestly, I mean, obviously, I didn't check every story. I just picked, you know, some, you know, random samples, but yeah, that was the delineation that I found. If anybody knows any better, of course, please do get in touch and clarify for us. We'd be delighted. Um, should, we get, should we get into the show? Yeah, I think we should. <coughs> Welcome to part one of the show, which we call TARDIS Talk. You know by now, guys, this is the topic of the week. I've only got two at the moment, Doc, so give me a number between one and two one number one okay what is your favorite doctor who memory i don't think we've done this one we've done first doctor Who memory but that's a different thing isn't it your favorite
1: oh my god too many to name yeah but, um um i'm going to start with uh, a very early one for me um and it's a favorite of mine now but i get the idea that it greatly upset me at the time mm. and it's the end of city of death part three I'm Mm. pretty confident it is um and it's where um uh the professor gets aged to death with his own time machine and turns into a skeleton
0: oh yes Mm -hmm.
1: um am I allowed to have Doctor Who memories that I don't actually remember in other words things from Doctor Who that I only saw after I collect started collecting it later on I think so yeah because you're still your memory isn't it why not yeah um so I mean, I'll I'll have the end of the invasion episode six, mm. um, which is one of the best moments ever. Which is when 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 the Cybermen actually invade a very small part of West London, yes, um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and not the entire planet.
2: Mm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Um, yeah, I still I still feel like I'm not um, sort of really entering into the spirit of this game, and um, I stick to things that I actually remember from mm. um, when they were on telly the first time mm. and besides i'm going to start crossing over into just my favorite bits of dr ever, which is a, i think a completely different question that you should hold over for a different episode sure so from now I'm, I'm going to stick to things that i actually remember um but once again at the time i found the end of episode two of time flight mm. um where uh, the master unmasks himself. Mm-hmm. To be extremely effective. Um, that had a massive effect on me.
0: Yeah, yeah, and we we kind of talked about that uh, last week, didn't we? Time flight. Um, what, what specifically? Why do you think that resonated?
1: Um, because I was still quite early. Um, I must, in theory, have seen. In fact, I I, I did see Logopolis because okay, um, definitive answer to the question. Mm-hmm. Um, my favourite memory um tom baker's regeneration oh yeah mm-hmm. a very early one for me mm. um i was at my grand's house as my family always were at that time on a saturday um and even though i wasn't particularly known to be a fan at the moment because it had been on the news and stuff um my dad thought it was somehow important and he he called me in from the back garden because he said the old doctor who's going to change into the new doctor who
0: well, oh, yeah, that, 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 that's, a, that's a lovely thing for him to do. Was, was he trying to like, kindle your interest in the show or, you know, was it just kind of general cultural significance at the time, do you think?
1: I think it must have been of general cultural significance at the time. I mean, yeah. it's, um, it, it's after seven years. It's <clears throat> the equivalent of, like, Keith Richards quitting the Rolling Stones in 1972 or something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. It,
1: it, it's, it's, it's the, 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 the front man of what's been a really important band mm. for a lot of people, or a big chunk of people's adolescence and, yeah. and, and, and growing up. Yeah. And I, I do think it was massively culturally significant. That's a great one, Don. Um, Funny thing is,
0: I think I remember Legopolis, the ending of Legopolis, But unless it was repeated, I don't think I possibly can. Have, uh, have remembered it correctly, so I think I've kind of retrospectively remembered it. If you if if you see what I me. I
1: think um, Logopolis was repeated as as we talked about the other week um, as part of the f- the retrospective, the five faces of Doctor Who season. Well, it, I think that was re- I think that was repeated to represent Peter Davidson. Oh, really? That's a strange
0: tr- that's a strange choice.
1: Right. That can't possibly be right. Um, Logopolis was repeated for some good reason, sometime mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. represent Peter Davidson because um, that was literally all of Peter Davidson that was in the camp. So that history is completely completely disregard what I said about being the five faces of Doctor Who season. Mm-hmm. I believe it was repeated, and I believe the significance of the repeat is they wanted to show something with Peter Davidson in it, and that was literally all they had. Yeah,
0: just like the last five seconds of of, of that particular story as he sits up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember that five faces of, of, of Doctor, because that's what we talked about. I remember the, the, the three Doctors part of it. So, I mean, if it was part of that season, then it would make sense that I would remember Logopolis 2. Um, it just depends when that was actually broadcast, you know, that that, that mini season, as
1: it were. Well, it was broadcast in, uh, to set up the 20th anniversary celebration. So it would have been between season 19 and 20. Ah, yeah, um, yeah. Which means that Peter Davison would have had a solid. um, On the other hand, I don't know whether they were cagey about repeating. I'm going to have to look at the seat that this 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 thing. Um, It's very widely documented.
0: Sure. Yeah. Uh, And maybe we'll drop it into the corrections next week. What do you reckon, Doc?
1: uh, Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a prime thing for the uh, the errata and corrections next week. Yeah, I I think so. So,
0: How about you? Yeah. I mean, I mean, mine's really easy. I was about eighteen and maybe a bit older actually maybe, maybe maybe 19 or 20 and I had my eye on a particularly lovely young lady and <clears throat> discovered that she was into sci-fi we got talking about Star Wars and Star Trek and Doctor Who she was very very interested um, and <clears throat> I invited her back to mine and she wanted to watch some Tom Baker so I put I put on some City of Death, and then we and then proceeded to have a, a rather nice time smooching on the sofa for the duration. So there you go, N- nothing to do with the actual program itself, just a an absolutely wonderful memory. Absolutely, yeah. Um,
1: I met um, one of my very best friends for many many years, who's also a good friend of yours for many years. Mm. Um, a fellow named John. Um, and I'd, I'd, I'd been acquainted with him, and one morning I found him in, in a particularly bad mood um, mm. outside the newsagents, and I asked him what was wrong, um, and he said, oh, it's the drummer from Metallica. Mm-hmm. And he um, he thrust a copy of Metal Hammer at me, and it was when Lars Ulrich had been on, on one of his pro-Republican <clears throat> rants and... Um, talking about how he hated people who were uh, who weren't true patriots and that Metallica bitterly resented the anti-American stance of their early albums.
0: Yeah, don't tread on me, Lars.
1: John was in such a bad mood. We, we, we decided to uh, to go and have a few beers um, mm. and got chatting, and the subject of Doctor Who came up, um, and um, he began talking about, oddly enough, a memory of his, mm-hmm. which I was easily able to identify as being the Invisible Enemy, and said, "I actually have that. Next wow. time you're around, my, um, you can borrow it or come in and watch it."
0: Mm. That's great, um, isn't it? And 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 and, and... Thus a friendship was solidified, I imagine.
1: Um yeah, absolutely. And as recently as last year, um I had to not ingratiate myself, but I I, I had to find a fit-in strategy um for working with a bunch of software engineers um in various different parts of East Asia. Yeah. Um and I had my my introductory chat. Um somebody asked me what what I was interested in. Um, and with no prompting at all, um, I said, well, uh, I'm very fond of old UK TV. Um, and someone immediately said, oh, oh including Doctor Who. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um,
1: the um, the, na- the, the organisation is actually named, the, the, I won't say company, it, it, it's, it's a, a group of people who get together to do contracts in which they have commutable skills. Yeah. Um, and the name of their organisation is actually named after a Doctor Who monster. Wow. Okay. Oh, great. What a connection. They're not paying me for advertising and they can't afford to do so, so I'm not going to name drop them.
0: Yes, yeah, so, I mean Dalek Enterprises. In, 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 Southeast, uh, in, 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 in Southeast Asia, of course, very, very famous. So I think we all know who you're talking about, Doc. Um, don't forget, guys, you can contact us via email at differentdocsos at gmail.com or via Twitter at sosdifferent. I am going to try and get a Facebook page set up. We do have one, but the, the address is so convoluted, I just can't be bothered to read it out. So I'll get that sorted, guys, and hopefully we'll, we'll have that for next week. Let's get on to part two.
1: Jenkins? Check the wings there. Five rounds rapid.
0: Welcome to part two of the show, which we call Five Rounds Rapid. Um, here, me and the doc throw out two or three ideas each and talk about them as briefly as possible, which probably means we're going to still be... Banging on about 30 minutes. Um, before that, though, some details. Uh, of course, today's story is Paradise Towers, uh, the second story from Sylvester McCoy's second season. Um, it's written by Stephen Wyatt. Um, He also wrote some episodes of House of Elliot, some episodes of Casualty, and with regards Doctor Who, he also wrote The Greatest Show in the Galaxy a year later, um, directed by a gentleman called Nicholas Mallet, He worked on Blake Seven as a production unit manager, um, and in the the Hooniverse, um, he also directed Mysterious Planet and Curse of Fenric. Music, of course, by the Hugely talented, Kef McCulloch. Um, the main cast, the main supporting cast, actually, besides the principal characters. We've, of course, got Richard Bryars as the chief caretaker, Clive Merrison as deputy chief caretaker. Um, then we've got the two old the two old bats. We've got Elizabeth Spriggs as Tabby, Brenda Bruce as Tilda, Judy Cornwell as Maddie, and Howard Cook as
1: Pex. And I think that, that will suffice. Do you want to kick things off, Doc? Yeah, um, I need to start by saying that um, I draw very frequently on John Berger's book, Ways of Seeing, mm-hmm. uh, very, very frequently in, in in intellectual exercise. This topic has got nothing to do with the contents of that book, and rather, its 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 title. It's been my determination to come to the Sylvester McCoy era, um, looking for ways of seeing, looking for new ways of appreciating or understanding this material and trying to find out what the hell was going on or what people thought the hell was going on. Yeah. This, in real time, was the first time I began going to Doctor Who local group meetings and the Mm. first time I began engaging in public debate with large numbers of Doctor Who fans. This season was loathed then. Um, And this, by the way, was not a Dwas local group. It was an independent one. So um, nobody's agenda was being pimped here. Nobody was... Um, specifically trying to bash John Nathan-Turner or um, get in with some crowd or this crowd or that crowd. Um, It was a a tiny little independent Doctor Who local group of which the people in common had only that they were Doctor Who fans Mm. and many of them attended um, a large industrial polytechnic in uh, South Staffordshire. Um, This season was so roundly hated, I mean Mm. unanimously hated and I know it's had a bit of a critical reappraisal. And uh, I know these days, um, even season 20, pretty much season 24 has its own fans. And certainly the Sylvester McCoy era has its own fans, including people who don't even like the rest of Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, and, but the th- the poor thing has been dumped on so much, like this whole season. Um, I needed to kind of not do that. So going into, the, this story in particular and the next couple I'm trying really hard to bend my head bend my brain into finding a new way of reading this thing mm. or looking at it from a different angle or looking at it from a different perspective and we'll, we'll we'll get to see no promises but we'll get to see if I've succeeded or if so how I've succeeded um, there a reasonably concise first round
0: well well done doc i
1: think you've i think you've set yourself quite the
0: herculean challenge there to be honest because with the exception of two or three points that i will raise as the episode progresses you know i I I found this almost irredeemably lamentable um I i wasn't expecting to enjoy it um because you know, I have, I just have no love of of, of the McCoy era, with the exception of of, of, of two stories at a stretch. Three, um, I find, I, I find it borderline unwatchable, um, you know. And truthfully, if 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 I wasn't obliged to watch to watch it for this project, um, which which I'm happy to do, by the way, because I I I, I have very much enjoyed you know uh, just having the excuse to watch a bunch of who it's, it's great i love doctor who and, and, and so it's great to have that opportunity but then we hit sylvester mccoy the sylvester mccoy era and i, I, I find it so di- such hard work so difficult I, I do find it hard to extract much positive from it um you know obviously my intro to this to this podcast episode was, was, was lampooning, um, my overall, uh, you, you know, the, the, just the, 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 infantilizing of, of, my beloved program by this point I, 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 I find it borderline upsetting. And, 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 it really, really distressed me, Doc, um, Oh, I mean, you know, specific things. Let's, let's knock a couple of complaints out of the way. You know, we've, I've already used the word play school. You know, Red Kangs, Red Kangs, Red Kangs are the best. Um, bloody, <coughs> I mean, Mel. I mean, Bonnie Langford, God bless her. I think she's trying her heart out. And she seems like a lovely woman when I've seen her interviewed. But fuck me. um That character. And, and her inability to, to act like a, like a grown-up. <sighs> Sorry, Doc. No, I'm, I'm struggling to... I'm, I'm, I'm sucking all the positivity out of the place. Do, do you want to pick up the mantle? Yeah,
1: so this, 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 this dovetails beautifully, as Duggan would say, um, mm-hmm. into my next point, which is what... St- and it's two points in one, really. What standards or how low were the standards of competency or achievement that were required by a nationwide government-funded organization of the size and scale of the BBC to work on Doctor Who at this point.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I, who, who, in, who in the name of goodness gave a QA pass to that music? No. Oh, um, I've, I've, I've worked for tiny little seven-man advertising agencies mm. do everything themselves except um, the large-scale printing and the music for their video production and yeah. i promise you um if they'd set aside a budget of 700 pounds and a freelance composer came back with that um they'd have sent the tapes back um and, and, and demanded their money back and sent yes. the tech collectors around the following day <laughs> yeah i mean it i mean i mean
0: the music is, is is i mean it's beyond awful isn't it and it's so loud um
1: and particularly did you catch the Go on, Doc. Did you know? Did you know this, by the way? Um, like the the composers on this season, um, even Dudley, Dudley, at his worst, and mm. even um, some would say Tristram um, and some many would say Malcolm Clarke. Yeah, at their worst, at least they were BBC employees. I mean, a, a, at least they were on the payroll, and they were trying to do something. Um, the people who did the music for this season, that they, they were they were contracted out. They there were composers for hire who one assume, were selected for their skill. Well, it's,
0: it's just one composer, isn't it, Doc? My understanding is it's Kef McCulloch. He wrote the theme music, and it, well, he certainly wrote the incidental music for this story. I thought he did it all.
1: No, there's another guy. Is there? Um, my, uh, there's, there's one other. Yeah. Um, and, I, I mean, the, the only possible explanation for it is that they were unbelievably cheap. Mm. i mean i mean to be able to undercut an in-house resource so i don't know how doctor how, how the budgeting on doctor who works or worked in those days um i assume that a producer is given a budget and they are given guidelines as to what in-house resources they're available and what will be extracted from their but so um as in any company I imagine the in-house resources you have are much, much, much cheaper than contracting out anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they chose to contract this work. They, they, they chose to hire out. They chose to get freelancers. And the reason you do that, in a, the reason you hire consultants in a company um, is to get the best when you don't mind paying through the arse for it. Surely it would have been better to have you know, paid a researcher
0: you know to spend one week going through the archives of the of the music that the bbc already owns tens of thousands of fucking hours of music that the bbc already owns either either because they purchased the rights or because you know they they commissioned it and it was produced by the radiophonic workshop you know pay one researcher one week's wage which would be what let's say 500 quid at a stretch and, and and use that use that instead because this i mean particularly i mean the scenes between the music in the scenes between uh um, mel and pex i mean it's it, it is so awful i would presume that that kef mcculloch was being satirical if i didn't know any better because what other explanation is there um I mean, that being said i do like the um, like children of bottom style synth stabs, that always brings a smile to my. That brings a smile to my face. Um, but but that aside, it, it is amateurish, it is poorly executed, it is totally out of keeping with anything that's happening on screen ever, um, and just has no place in any production that wants to be taken seriously as a quality
1: piece of drama. It's shit. Yeah, uh, and I mean, uh, having realised that you're scraping the bottom of the barrel, um, so fine, and uh, I'm getting ahead of myself a bit here, but let's say the music you decide to make it an experimental work. Yeah, well, um, then fine. Um, go to a musician's workshop. Go, go to a council-run musicians' workshop in East London somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, find a poverty row experimental indie band. Um, find a African drumming collective or something. Uh, just. Find something that you can get for next to nothing, um, but at least has some life or some experimentation or, or something to it, um, instead of something that it. It sounds like the demonstration programs that you get on inexpensive synthesizer keyboards yeah, from the eighties now, doesn't it? You're
0: absolutely right. That's a great. That's a great observation, Doc. Yes, you know, you, you, you can imagine kind of pressing the button on on the Casio. You know, and it goes like, you know, tango, waltz, bossanova, Kef McCulloch, you know, it in the menu. It's absolutely shocking. Um, what were they thinking? I don't know. I want to try and say something positive now, Doc, because I've, I've, I, went, I went off on a, I've started on a bit of a, in a bit of a ranty mood. Um, great little sequence, I thought, just, just kind of cluing us in, maybe for the first time, to the fact that all is not right is the sequence where where Mel is first, Well, she first encounters the two old women. Um, and in particular, she encounters Tilda in the corridor. Um, who I don't know why, but she's just kind of nosing around to see what's going on. And she spots Mel. And she kind of, it's obvious that she wants Mel to go in, but she's kind of delaying it a little bit. And she kind of explains this by saying, oh, you know, my friend Tabby, is just tidying up, um, and it's it, it's it's just a great little moment because in the back of your mind, I suppose maybe being pre-informed, you know, because I've seen it before and I've read the the novelisation, so I knew what those characters were about. It just paints this glorious picture in 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 your head of what precisely what horrors is this? Got kind of a lovely old woman in the process of tidying up, basically in the kitchen.
1: Right, so uh, I'm going to follow up that point because it's one of the points where the, the script fails completely. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know what it took to get me to. I think I must have seen an exposition or an interview with the writer somewhere because when I watched this from the events on screen, I had no idea that the two old ladies were supposed to be cannibals because right. they're starving.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, um, i didn't know that I, it was because they were starving but 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 i knew that there was something going on you know i, I you know you, i think you can i think you can glean from it that they are cannibals but maybe not maybe not the rationale for it
1: um, no i i i just thought there were crazy old women who wanted right. to murder Mel for no good reason
0: yeah and that, um, and that, um, that, that, that that's why i caveat is what i was saying you know with the fact that you know maybe maybe i picked this up you know, because I've read the novel, because you know, because I've because I've seen it before. Maybe I didn't get that first time through.
1: So I'm going to I'm going to use that to segue into my next point. Yeah, this is this is my way of seeing. Um, when I was probably sixth form age, shortly afterwards. And I know you did theatre studies in sixth form, but I don't think it was you who I was having this conversation with. I'm pretty certain it was a a lady acquaintance of mine. And she was talking about a a brainstorming workshop they'd been having in um, in theatre class. And their task had been um, to come up with the most jarring, juxtaposed, inappropriate presentation method um, for a particular kind of material. And um, the one group um, had come up with um, the famous five in the style of Debbie Does Dallas. Special. What's it like to become one of football's cowgirls? Debbie Does Dallas has all the answers.
2: Hi, my name is Bambi Woods, and it's interesting that I was chosen for this part in this movie because in real life I was a Dallas cowgirl. In this film, though, my name is Debbie Benson. The story is completely fictional, but could have really happened with a little help from my friends.
1: So effectively taking relatively innocent children's material, but doing it as hardcore pornography. Yeah. Um, Her group's response to this, because now they felt challenged and affronted, was what they were going to do was a clockwork orange in the style of play school.
0: Mm -hmm. Sure.
1: Just in any version, really. Yeah. I put it to you that what we have here, if it were made by much better people, is a clockwork orange in the style of play school. Well, it, I mean,
0: it, it's a great observation doc have you read the novelization by the way
1: no i haven't
0: because you've you've read, you've read most of the novelizations haven't you it's, this is one that, 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 that you missed
1: yeah i mean my um i stopped picking up the novelizations as soon as i got a reliable source of video um and um i I only realised this quite recently as well, that there's, there's probably um, a lot of latter-era great novelizations that um, I've missed out of, but it was it was always my intention to watch Doctor Who on the telly if yes. when if I ever got the chance. And I got some reliable sources of video, so variously from New Zealand and West Germany, mm-hmm. as was at the time, mm-hmm. from people who... Either were having John Pertwee era material broadcast in their country or um, had cheap cable stations that were broadcasting Tom Baker. And that's where I started my collection. And um, that was when I, I stopped buying novelizations, largely because um, I wasn't a particularly wealthy adolescent. And yeah. a videotape and the prices and postage um, pretty much wiped out what I would have been spending on um, entertainment otherwise in any given month. Sure. So, no, I haven't.
0: Yeah, I did. I mean, I've read it a couple of times. I, I thought it was written by um, Stephen White, actually. The, the, you know, the, the person responsible for the teleplay here. But apparently, I've, I've just looked it up. It's not. It's by somebody called Shweta, Forgive my pronunciation here, Shweta Bachchan Nanda. Um, now, <clears throat> my memory of the book. Now, bear in mind, dear listener, it's been probably twenty-five years since I read it. Uh, but my memory. Is, is of a book that is, you know, quite challenging, quite deep, with very graphic, horror-inflected descriptions. You know, the the, the, the characterisations of Tilda and Tabby are excellent. They really are proper scary um, in the book. You know, the the caretaker is a great character. What's the cryagnon? Is it cryagnon? Am I right? The um, yes. like the big bad? um really really well realized it you know for me at the time when I was reading the the novelizations you know this was right up there with the Ben Aronovich stuff which I always thought was the were the best novelizations um yeah so so, so, unlike the unlike the television version you know the novel really brings this world to life and crucially scares the living fuck out of you um, which, which I think is the idea. I mean, it's, it's a proper scary story, isn't it? So it should, it should put the wind up you.
1: Yeah. So for a long time, I was bitter about the story, which I felt had um, a great concept. Mm. Um, I thought it was like obviously drawing, drawing most obviously from JG Ballard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, high rise and crash. Yeah. And, and um, all of that. Um, equally, I think you could say it's drawing from David Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Um, are we detecting a bit of uh, altered states? Is that one I'm thinking of?
0: No, that, that that's not Cronenberg. Actually, altered state. You're thinking of. Uh, I can think. Remember the French name is les frissons. So that's going to be shivers.
1: Shivers. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. shivers is the, 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 the it, it's the high rise the, the the brand new modern high rise complex gone wrong gone wrong, isn't it? You know, when the building turns on them because it's Cronenberg, yes. of course. you throw in some. Body horror and mutant slugs, uh, just for good measure.
1: Um, Mutant slugs that crawl into vaginas, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, well, any
0: orifice they can find, I think.
1: Yeah, Um, and so I mean, it's it comes from a strong pedigree. Um, I I think it's worth bringing up *A Clockwork Orange* again. Uh, I think it's worth bringing up *Lord of the Flies*. Mm. It 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 comes from an impeccable pedigree, Mm. and I think it's. Someone's perfectly rational decision to how can we take these very modern, very futuristic concepts that have only been approached by people such as um, very experimental, very experimental filmmakers who only got to make the film they wanted to make because it was subsidised by the Canadian government. Oh yes, that's, that's how that's how uncommercial a proposition this stuff was. Mm. Um, you know, this stuff doesn't go down easy, not with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, how can we follow up all of those socio political points? And I'm going to stop that there because we have a whole section of the episode for that. We do. That's so the next part.
0: Yeah, that's the next part, Doc, isn't it? Yeah. I, I can only imagine, I mean, just to follow on from your point there, I can only imagine the look on the writer's face, you know, when it, he delivered this script that was meant to be, you know, a, a socio political commentary, horror, which would. You know, uh, as well as being horror-inflected, you know, meant meant to unnerve, meant to be a little bit tasteless, you know, the 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 cannibal old ladies, you know, that wouldn't that wouldn't be out of place in like an early West Craven movie, would it? You know, like, you can imagine like redneck cannibal old women, no problem at all. Um, and and the look on his face when he saw the end product, it must have been an absolute picture doc, you know.
1: You see. If, they, if people did something like that now, I would have more appreciation for it because I'm so sick to the bloody back teeth of darkness and grimness. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think... But then now I have to talk about Attack the Block, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously a far more recent production, but it's got a lot of those same themes. It, it's got the same themes of urban alienation. Yeah. Um, it's got the same themes of... Um, the criminals are nearly as scared as you are mm. um it's got the same concept that you know the, the same ideas of actually which is more threatening mm. um the the things outside that we're defending against or the things inside that we've locked ourselves in with
0: yeah yeah but, and anybody who hasn't seen attack the block I, I, it, it is highly recommended what you know for my money one of one of the one of the best british sci-fi horrors certainly of the past like 20 years or so um, and in fact, there is. There's, there's a who connection, isn't there? Because it's um oh who? It's Jodie Whittaker. She plays the um she's she's the woman. She's the main woman.
1: Goodness me, you're right.
0: Yeah, there we go, Doc. Yeah. So, me. so you know we've got solid sci-fi credentials with Jodie. I can't remember the character name. And of course, John Boyega, who would go on to um, much fame in Star Wars before he disappeared up his own anus and started lecturing the world about how evil white people are. Um, so, yeah, it's rock-solid um, sci-fi credentials at the book. Go and check it out, guys.
1: Um, so there's, there's all of that stuff surrounding it, and I, I want to believe, or my, my, um, I'm, I'm not being contrarian towards you. Um, I'm hoping we can set up an interesting conflict and an mm. interesting dialogue, because I, I I've chosen to take as my my perspective on this um, because it was such an obvious thing to do it dark and do it grim and do it urban and do it gritty and do it bleak sci-fi, someone made the very very brave directorial or someone signed off the very very brave uh, directorial tradition uh, decision that we're going to do it as unabashed kids TV. Sure. Um, and I think what they're thinking of is something like Blue Remembered Hills, which is the the Dennis Potter play, and it's about some children. And what Dennis Potter decided to do, um, in order to, in order to not have it cute little children, because um, apart from the fact that if he'd have cast little children in those parts and had them doing the things that they were doing, then it would have been borderline illegal to even produce. Yeah, um, he cast grown adults who are unashamedly playing children.
0: Mm. Which is the uh, same thing here, isn't it? You know, the 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 the, the women. That are playing—they're called the Kangs, aren't they? The Red Kangs. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, they're, they're clearly too old for the characters they're actually trying to portray on screen. It, it, it's really jarring. At least I found it very jarring. You know, their their behaviour in contrast with their actual physical, obvious physical age.
1: Um, I might even ask your opinion about that right now. Um, am I being too kind? Um, is this? Um, like a, a, a sort of extrapolation of, um, since we're in the eighties, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about uh, cheap slasher films where the teenage, the, the borderline underage teenage girls are clearly played by women in their late twenties. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, or is it is it meant to be Arrested Development? Um, are we meant to believe that these are, let's say, six or seven year olds who were abandoned by education and their parents and society at large? um and they're they're hung in that they're, they're just hung up at age seven or age yeah, eight and yeah beyond 10, even yeah. though then they are naturally they are actually now in their mid-20s and, and that's
0: a great question and, and that ties back to lord of the flies doesn't it you know because even though i mean obviously you know the the, the actions of the children in lord of the flies get to be quite extreme but still in much of their behavior that they are you know they are they, they are younger than they than they are in reality. Here, um, I was torn by this as well. Doc, and I kind of had a, a, a similar thought. Really, um, is it arrested development? I, don't, I think we, I think we can see it that way. And, and 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 so I suppose if that if that's the case, it does kind of get a little bit of a pass. Um, but. But if that is the case, just have one line of dialogue, making that apparent, making that clear. Now, I'm I'm not one for spoon feeding the audience, um but much as you, you know, were, were kind of lamenting the fact that you didn't really understand the the nature of those old women because the script failed. Well, I'd say this is arrested development, and then we have the same failure too.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I I don't believe in spoon feeding audiences either. What I would have done if I was the casting director is cast people people demonstra I'd have cast people in their 40s yeah oh yeah very interesting yes
0: what a great idea Doc yeah I really really like that yeah so that so then there's no you know there's no room for ambiguity is there that's right yeah I mean you Uh, mentioned the slasher films oh sorry Doc you mentioned the slasher films I think a crucial difference you are right of course you know that you know the 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 final girl kind of character is normally you know, meant to be six. I mean, I, I would say they're normally meant to be 17 or 18, and they're played by somebody what 25, 23, 24, 25, um, and that isn't quite so jarring because because you know, uh, as semi-literate individuals, no, I'm not just talking about you, me and you. I'm talking about like, the, the general viewing public as semi individuals. We understand this conceit and and, and we just accept it. Whereas, whereas, when you take a like a 21 or 21 or a 22 year old woman and have her play and act like a, you know, at what at most 11 or 12, now suddenly that's really jarring.
1: Um, yes, it is, it's um, and it's 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 one of the many many, many missteps, um. Are we still on point five or is is, is it about time to uh, to put five rounds rapid to bed and move on to uh, the, the next stage of the discussion? Because believe me, we've got plenty to come down the line. Ah, We've got plenty to go. Yeah, I think that's a great idea, Doc. Commander, you are authorised to use the mind probe. What? No, not the mind probe
0: welcome to part three of the show which we call oh no not the mind pro here we talk about other shows tvs that were influenced or have been influenced by doctor who um <clears throat> and generally talk about the world at large at the time of broadcast at least that's the idea but of course we go wildly off track at times um broadcast dates for this particular story uh, 5th to the 26th of october 1987 um us film releases of note we've got um, like Father, Like Son, um, which was uh, one of, one of that, that, that spate of body swap comedies, if I remember correctly. Um, we've got The Princess Bride, the much-loved Princess Bride, incidentally. Highly overrated, if you ask no, but what do I know? Um, <laughs> Prince of Darkness, the excellent Prince of Darkness from John Carpenter. If you haven't watched that and you like a bit of horror, get that down your neck. And Suspect, which I believe is, is at the Amish film doc where the, 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 an armish young man is accused of, of of the rape of an individual something like that i think um, isn't
1: is, isn't, that the, isn't that the witness
0: oh is that the opposite that's witness and this is suspect yes i've, I've got I've, I've got my legal terminology all kefuddled um
1: so yeah i mean in in cinema um nothing um greatly influential um, where the story, dr- the, the, the pop culture that the story is drawing from is, um, I'm, I'm going to use an expression that I don't like, but people understand it. So um, I'm going to say synth pop. Okay. So synth pop of the early '80s, effectively coming off the back of experimental industrial music of the 1970s, mm. and very influenced by, um, very specifically JG Ballard, also mm. Isaac Asimov,
2: mm. um,
1: obsessed with. Um, concepts of urban alienation. Um, lots of songs with lyrics that go things like, see the broken glass in the underpass, and things like that.
0: Yeah. Are we talking um, craft work?
1: Craft um, work are proto synth pop um, and they're German and um, they're, they, they sort of got their start in the early 70s. Yeah. So, craft um, work, I would put. Alongside not included, I would put alongside what people choose to call Krautrock, which oh, yes. is the German equivalent, not version, the German equivalent of West Coast Psych or UK prog. Yeah. Um, so Krautrock worker from that tradition and mm. also from the tradition. Um, th- there's 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 a great quote from um I think Ralf Hutter, uh and com- um completely deadpan. Um he says um sort vi- um we are considering ourselves to be the, the the sons of Werner von Braun and Werner von Siemens, and yes, we played it so, and we were not trying to look attractive to harass the girls. That, 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 that
0: well-reputed and, and, and famous German sense of humour rears, rears its head again. <laughs> yeah, great.
1: Well, I, I mean, as, um, uh, as one of the members of... Um, Halloween once said, "Uh, you know the Aussie funny assholes."
0: <laughs> Absolutely right. Yeah, and 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 indeed they were, especially by their <laughs> yes, 50, especially say. by their fifteenth album. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> um, I was specifically talking about the early iterations of the Human League. Um, mm. Gary Newman, Blackstroke, yeah. Stroke, Tubeway Army. Oh yes. Um, you could possibly even, I mean, they, they, they included a synthesizer amongst their instruments of choice. I think you could include Joy Division in that mix. You could definitely mm-hmm. include Cabaret Voltaire. Oh, yes. Um, So by and large, Northern English stuff. Um, oh, uh, OMD. Let's not forget OMD. Mm-hmm. Travelogue uh, is a wonderful album. a lot of these UK new wave influences start creeping into Doctor Who, which I find cute and nice mm. rather than irritating. Mm-hmm. You have a story called uh, The Happiness Patrol, which is a homo... homolog, something that has the same meaning but with different words. Would that be homolog?
0: Oh, I'd need, I'd need to look it up, Doc, to be honest.
1: Um, well, a, a, a homophone is something that sounds the same but looks different. A homonym Correct. is something that... Um, looks different but means the same mm-hmm. um, and I'm going to say something that has the same meaning using different words I'm, go- I'm going to call it a homologue let's go with it um so the happiness patrol is um obviously a, a homologue for joy division you have a story called delta and the banner men which is obviously playing with some greek letters around echo and the Benny men
0: is that ne- is that next week no sorry is that is that uh, not next week next week but is that the next Sylvester McCoy story I believe
1: I believe it is yeah yeah okay um and Paradise Tower. So, um, new of connection here. We're obviously supposed to draw a connection between idealized nine, uh, 1930s conceptions of what high rise living would be like. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, by the 1960s, we know how badly that social experiment had backfired. But if you go back to the 1930s, when architects were attempting to resist Nazi concepts of Roman revivalism and excessive grandeur, um, they came up with this idea of very compact living spaces, very economical, very minimal in terms of energy. Um, and many of those people were associated with the Bauhaus movement. Mm-hmm. So we, we we get another early 80s New Wave reference.
0: Yeah, and and you know this this idea of kind of high-rise living, and and I would also throw in kind of like gated communities. This concept kind of read its head again, didn't it? I would say mid-90s to to about the year 2000, this concept seemed to kind of gain in popularity again. I mean, obviously to be um, wildly kind of satirised by the great George A. Romero in Land of the Dead.
1: Yeah, definitely. So from time to time, um, *Civic Fish... Uh, this is one of those great stories of how the road to hell is paved with good intentions.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, in fact, how the road to inequality and poverty is paved with very humanitarian, very equalitarian
2: intentions. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, from time to time, people will go to a place that seems to be able to pull off high rise living. Um, they're usually civic officials, normally appointed by local borough councils. And they will visit some place like um, Osaka, or they will visit some place like um, there's a Swedish town, not even a city, there's a Swedish town where they're doing some very interesting experimental work with timber high-rises.
2: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: And they'll go somewhere like that and they'll see, um, well, those people live in high-rise accommodation and um, it seems to work out perfectly well for, uh, for them. Um, we'll try that in Slough or we'll try it in Coventry or we'll try it in Middlesbrough. Um, the part they leave out is that, and it, it's it's too long-winded and too boring and too irrelevant for me to go into now. But those places have a community surrounding them. The tower block is the place where people go to go to sleep and watch telly mm-hmm. um, and feel safe. Um, but typically, in many of those places, people won't even bother having a bathroom in their own apartment. There'll be a, a, a communal bathing space. There, mm-hmm. there'll, there'll, there'll be a public bathhouse. Um, many people won't even bother having a kitchen in their apartment because there are, depending on your budget, there are like huge, very expensive, uh, very inexpensive um, canteens, mostly for construction workers, but where anyone can go and eat their fill for a very small amount of money.
0: Yeah, same, um, same is true. Same is true. Like washing machines, isn't it? You'd, they wouldn't have washing machines because you know there, there, there would be some kind of washing you know kind of communal washing room in maybe in the basement for example
1: maybe in the basement but more likely like out in town that they'll be a big um, quite often with a little cafe attached to it Mm. Um, and so you have all of these things surrounding these spaces that that, that foster community and encourage community and whenever people just fixate on what we'll do is we'll take a tower we'll, 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 we'll build a tower block in Coventry um, and that will have the exact same result. And, of course, without any supporting community infrastructure, what the, if you remember the the very famous one in Birmingham, um, they were built in things like um, on-road intersections or like on mm-hmm. traffic islands. Mm-hmm. So there's no way to access the place except by um, a network of murderous underground tunnels.
0: Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, Tan-, Tan House is the name that comes to mind for me. That's that, that that one was pretty infamous in, in, in our locality i can't quite pin it on a map but i'm sure you remember tanhouse
1: Doc. absolutely um i um i have photographs um, i have half a dozen photographs and it must have been at about this time i would put it a, or a few years later um, when tanas one and three mm. um, were demolished mm. and all the lane. Um, I got there at nine o'clock in the morning. The demolition is scheduled for two o'clock in the afternoon. So I got quite close up, but there were an estimated um, 12,000 people, many of whom were um, the people who had once been housed in the wretched places who would come out to cheer and drink beer and drink and, and, and celebrate whilst mm. watching these things be demolished.
0: Yeah. yeah. Do, do you think it's possible that, you know, when, when these, these edifices are first constructed, um, that you know, they do kind of look modern and sophisticated and like decent places to live, but then the very fact that, that you know, the, 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 cu- the communality nature of them, the communal nature of them, even um, uh, means that there is kind of no sense of possession or proprietary, and so they you know, they very qu- like the communal areas very quickly fall into disrepair. Um, and so become kind of bleak places. And, 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 and then this kind of infests the, the mentality and well-being and mental health of the people that actually live there.
1: That's a big part of it. Um, mm. Another big part of it. So, I mean, uh, my, my mom um, once worked with um, a girl who had recently exited um, an abusive relationship um, mm-hmm. and, and was looking for was looking for a fresh start in a safe space where people couldn't, where, where someone couldn't come banging on her front door in the middle of the night.
2: Yeah.
1: And she joined She joined the waiting list for Tanas House 2. Mm. Um, and because it was very new, uh, was housed very, very quickly. And apparently, so we're probably in that year 1966 or 1967. Um, apparently there wasn't much wrong with it back yeah. then. Uh, what happened was some of the smaller apartments became available. And the council began to leak problem te- problem tenants um, into these places, and you know now I have to watch myself really really carefully because I'm going to start sounding I'm really going to start sounding like an old Tory here. Sure. Um, it doesn't take many of those kinds of people. So I mean, if if someone's dealing heroin out of their council apartment, um, there's going to be a constant stream of junkies. Sure. Um, coming up stairs, in the lifts, those people have got no investment in preserving the space. So they're going to start pissing in the lobby. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to start spray painting the walls of the lifts. They're going to start hanging out outside this guy's flat. Um, sooner or later, people are going to start openly taking drugs in the public spaces. And then parents are going to want to keep their kids away from them. Yeah, of course. Understandably. Yeah. When you do, once a community relinquishes the spaces to which it has absolute entitlement um well then they're given over entirely to antisocial elements mm. i grew That's up when they became antisocial
0: i grew up um, for 3 or 4 years in, in in one of these kind of buildings it's called ba- bailey court and you know my recollection is it is that it was a perfectly pleasant place to live but of course you're a child and so you know you don't really have the same perspective but then over the course of about 30 years i I watched it before after i'd left there i watched it before my eyes fall in fall into 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 decay and disrepair as you know you could you you could see entropy occur before your very eyes um and it and and it's very sad but 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 i think that is the life cycle of these kind of of buildings and i think that's what what, one of the things that old stephen wyatt here just to drag it back to this story i think that's what he's trying to represent isn't it
1: well it's um, I th- think it's a point really worth making within the context of Doctor Who, um, which is what I started with, which is the road to hell is paved with intentions. Mm. Um, I was really disappointed with the way in which Croagnon just turned out to be a mad monster computer thing in the cellar.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I think I think it detracts from a lot of the sociopolitical power of the story it's trying to tell, which is um, like this... This housing complex, this tower block, this whatever it is, got set up with the very best of intentions to mm. provide a pleasant environment where multiple generations of people could have a, could have inexpensive access to leisure facilities. So there's a nice swimming pool. Yeah, um, they could have plenty of space. They could have daylight. They could have communal spaces. Um, and little by little, through nobody's fault, um, I pinpointed like that. The oddest possible, I've got no idea if this is an influence, but you've got the same dynamic in um, The House by the Cemetery.
2: To a widow who finds out her husband butchered his mistress and then took his own life. That's where Peterson hanged himself from that iron railing.
1: In that story, in that film, it does it right. Um, so effectively, above ground, you've got the portrayal of um, a family quite literally coming to bits, or at least they are in bits by the time Dr. Freudstein's finished with them. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think by the end of the story, um, mom has been neurotic and been coming apart at the scenes for years, maybe because of this or maybe this is the reason for it. Dad's been banging the babysitter. Mm-hmm. Um the little boy is neglected to the point that he hasn't merely got imaginary friends. He started having very, very vivid fantasies of his parents being chopped up. Yes. And then it turns out that there, really, that there really is an immortal mad monster in the cellar.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned that little boy, Doc, honestly. That little, that little fucking Aryan little bastard. What a terrifying young kid. I mean, obviously perfectly cast, absolutely brilliant casting. Terrifying.
1: And so, I mean, uh, uh, about that film, do you think Dr. Freudstein is real? Or, um, uh, so, I mean, his name is Freudstein. Yeah. Sure. Um, it's a contraction of Freud and Frankenstein. Yeah,
2: of course, um,
1: So Effectively, he, do, do you think, as I do, that he's a monster who is literally created from the little boy's ego? Or yeah, the little that's, boy's... Yeah.
0: That's always been my interpretation. I think just like... Um... Just, I'm just I hope I'm not confusing two films here but just like the little girl in the in the painting that he keeps seeing as well um, yes. yeah, I, 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 I don't think she's real and I don't think the doctor's real either
1: I suppose what I'm coming to is does dr Freud does dr Freudstein become manifest does he become corporeal does he actually commit does he actually come out of the cellar and commit those murders
0: mm,
1: mm. or is it all in little is it all in the little boy's imagination, or does the little boy commit the murders?
0: Well, I mean, for me, that's the illusion, you know, that he's imagining that little girl who's kind of, who's talking to him, keeping him company. He's imagining the doctor, but he's the one, he's the one that's doing the murdering.
1: Yeah, um, so I brought that up and talked about Lucio Filky um, far too much, because... Um, I don't think I'm going to get an excuse to talk about Jess Franco in this episode. Ah. I can't talk about Jess Franco. I'm going to have to talk about Lucio Fulci. Yes, yes. Um, because that's that's the correct way to do what I think they're trying to do here. Yes. Um, there's a couple of inferences, and I so wish they'd done this. That Croagnon, um, the script sets it up so that Croagnon is the literal architect. Mm-hmm. the paradise towers mm-hmm. but why would the arc why would the architect of the building carry on living in the basement after mm-hmm. he completes like why wouldn't he go in the penthouse um well, it's I, it's
0: to be in the basement is that that's why
1: um well it would be in the hands of a good director yes. but, um uh, and it, it's, it's the fact that it's in that, you know, Dr. Freudstein has got a reason to, to be in the basement, particularly mm. if he's in the little boy's subconscious. Yep. Um, Croagnon's got no reason to be there unless um, Croagnon is a product of the subconsciousness of the whole community. Like Croagnon has been created by the sense of despair and disillusion and hopelessness mm. of the whole entire community.
0: You know, I think that's a perfectly plausible um, analysis here, You know that he is the manifestation of you know, the, the, the Rezies' bleakness, basically, you know, the, the bleakness of their existence.
1: Yeah, um, and I think that's a fantastically potent idea. Mm-hmm. I would love to see a really good writer and a really good director get to grips with um, a creature that is the literal manifestation of um, urban decay and alienation and depression.
2: Sure.
1: I don't have nearly a much imagine, a, a, enough imagination to imagine what that would look like, but I'd love to see someone really get to grips with that.
0: Yeah, I suppose the closest we, we, we've ever seen to that is something
1: like Candyman. I'm not talking about the you know the,
0: the recently released uh, remake. You know the original uh, is it is it Bernard Rose directed movie I think with Tony Todd. Um, mm. You know the, the, the Candyman is is some kind of manifestation of. Of 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 the negative emotions aimed Wait, at this one particular individual, isn't it, Doc?
1: For a split second, I thought you were talking about the Happiness Patrol. <laughs> uh, no, no, no.
0: Uh, oh yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no Doc, not that Candyman, the good one.
1: Have you ever heard of Candyman? And if you look in the mirror. You say his name five times. In cities everywhere... Candyman? They whisper his name. Right.
2: Candyman.
1: It's just a story. Candyman?
2: Candyman.
1: Just a ghost story. Candyman? (laughs) Candyman. I mean, you can in 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 other media. Um, I think Stephen King has experimented with this idea quite a bit. I, I think that the, the giant spider monster thing in It is supposed to be basically yeah. a, a, a manifestation of the, um, the 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 dark side of um, the apparently wholesome looking community that's on the surface.
0: Mm-hmm. That's it. Um, Doc, Doc, I've done something absolutely terrible. Do you know what I've done? <laughs> I forgot to announce the UK number ones at the, time of, at the time of this broadcast. I'm going to do it right now. Hold that thought. UK number ones at time of release. Pump up the volume by Mars. And you win again by the Bee Gees.
1: I need to point out when we're talking about the music um, at number one, at this point was pump up the volume by Mars. Um, The UK was in the middle of its first legitimate musical revolution since 1978. Mm -hmm. Pump up the volume is one of, it's not the first it's one of four or five. um, What would now be called old school house records Mm -hmm. that, got to astonishingly high positions in the uk charts considering this was a kind of music that people had never heard before um and it was the beginning of a musical revolution which i think probably we're still feeling the fallout from ne- from now a good 33 34 or 35 years on
0: are they british doc that, that, that astonishes me I would, I would have i would have swore blind that that just listening to it that that would be an american product
1: no, um, Mars is a supergroup um, made of various members of bands on 4AD records,
0: mm-hmm.
1: if you can believe that. Um, I'm not saying there are actually any members of um, Bauhaus or the Cocteau Twins
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, involved in this. Um, at least one member of AR Kane was involved in this, and at least one member of Colour But it was a, a, a side project made basically of musicians from bands on 4AD, yeah, they um, go. which... Makes this the oddest 4AD release ever.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what do you think about um, Richard Briars here, doc? Because at the t- and, and I'm going to try and place this contextually in the time. I w- d- 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 tell me if I'm wrong about this, doc. I would say at the time, Richard Bryars was just about the, the hottest property in. British comedy, or am I overstating, do you think?
1: I don't think you're overstating it at all. Hmm. Um, He was better known for, uh, I mean, um, came to prominence. He didn't first appear in, obviously, but he came to prominence in The Good Life. Yeah. Increasing circles by which, which are written by the same writers. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly Richard's, Richard Breyer's performance in those things. and When you're little, you can watch those as very fluffy sitcoms and you can laugh along with them. And honestly, you can when you're older as well. But it's only when you get older that um, you realise... Um, I was going to say lurking below the surface, almost barely lurking, lurking below the surface um, is a, are, are two portrayals of men who are about to go mad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean... I We'll, we'll get into this more, um, particularly when we get to talk about the uh, invasion of the dinosaurs, but this this isn't that that's not going to be for ages now. Um, I And this was very, very far-sighted of them because the facts of what was happening in that part of the world weren't correctly known in 1975, even though they were happening. It's impossible not to look at Tom Good in The Good Life now and basically see the suburban Pol Pot.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure yeah
1: um i mean you, you've got this guy who is insistent on rolling back the advantages of the industrial era he yeah. wants to go back to a, 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 a cleaner more pleasant time when everyone grew their own food
0: yeah he wants to reset um,
1: to year zero doesn't he just like mr just like mr potter did yeah um mm-hmm. just 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 like old, just just like old Saloth did. Sure. and it's uh, considering that um you know the good life is a fluffy comedy set in surrey and, and literally, at the time this was being broadcast, that shit be happening for real mm. on the other side of the world.
2: Mm. It's
1: uncanny to watch it now. And then you fast forward a bit, and you get to ever-decreasing circles. And you get not a Tom Good rehash, but you get a character who is effectively an urban Stalin. And he's the head of the Residents Association, but he's constantly prowling around with a little notebook, wanting to know what everyone's up to and wanting to know what they're doing on Saturday and why weren't they at the meeting. And it's really, really hard to watch that series now. And what you come away with is the idea of, oh my God, it's a really good job. You're a powerless, pathetic nobody um, stuck at the end of a little cul-de-sac. Because if you had power and resources, you'd have the secret police crawling all over your neighbourhood. You'd want to know what books were on people's shelves.
0: It's quite interesting that, um, you, that you say that because, I mean, presumably that's why he was thought of to play this kind of, you know, fascistic characters replete with comedy Hitler mustache. Um, so, you know, it kind of makes sense of what could otherwise be considered stunt casting.
1: Um, it could be considered stunt casting, but I think if you push through Tom Good and go through the guy in ever decreasing circles mm. and then. Translate that into Doctor Who. The chief caretaker um, isn't meant to wear like a stupid, um, like padded purple pre-revolution French army uniform, and I, I, I don't know what that's all. He's he's the chief caretaker. Um, he's a busybody. Mm. Uh, you know, he's he's the kind of guy who um, keeps a stash of Razzle magazine um, in his broom cupboard. Yeah, yeah, and and. Um, He's he's this absolute nobody who, because authority has abandoned Paradise Towers, because there are no more. He, um, <clears throat> if you remember the um, the cover of the Radio Times to uh, Threads, um, which is the uh, the traffic warden um, with the rifle. Sure. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, and, and like now. In the absence of any other recognisable authority, this is your authority figure. Yeah. that's what the chief—that's that's what the chief caretaker is. Mm. In the absence, we've been, told that, we've been told that all the men have had to go after war. Um, so, in the absence of anything like father figures or masculine leadership, in the absence of any police mm. or um, anything like that, the chief caretaker—the um, pathetic little wanker who squats in his in, in, in his broom cupboard. Um plotting his revenge, and, um, you know, those kids have made a mess of my stairway again. Mm. When I have my way, mm-hmm. when I have my way, I'll teach them some manners, see if I don't.
0: Yeah. And yeah.
1: Then, then he gets the chance.
0: I, d- I really like his performance. Um, in, in episodes one to three, I think he falls off a cliff, you know, when he's... Look, I, don't, I can't quite what happens to him, but Coragnon does something too, and he becomes... This kind of like, almost like vegetative, zombified creature, um, and, 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 and then it's absolutely awful. I, don't, I mean, I presume that's what it—that's how he was directed. I'm, I presume that's what they asked him to do, because um, it seems to well, me.
1: I mean, I mean, oh, sorry, or sorry, doctor, position he was being at the top of the tree, like you just said. Yeah, Richard Briers wouldn't sabotage his career like that, now would he? I mean, he wouldn't of his own will. I mean, I, I would have liked to have been on set because you can't imagine the director would have been. Very, the director wasn't very experienced. You can't imagine the director crushing Richard Briers with the force of his ego. Now, can you? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I mean, that, that, that's kind of my question. There, you know. I mean, if that was a choice, it was. It was. It was a perverse choice. If it was direct If if it was direction, then he. You know he should have had the, 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 the you know, the, the, the ability to, to resist. And he certainly got the chops to, the acting chops to, you know, deliver deliver a, a, a performance that would have been much more suitable. So it all seems very strange to me, Doc. Listen, we've got about 15 minutes to go. We've got about 15 minutes to go, Doc. Shall we, shall we move on to the last part of the show?
1: Well, um, I just want to talk about Bonnie Langford for a second as well, yeah. because it's, it's, it's relevant here since, I mean... You, Bonnie Langford worked like a fucking Trojan from about age two or something mm-hmm. um, to to get, get good at her craft. You can't do something like that for so long and not have some of your training rubb. I mean, um, theatre schools are strict places. Yeah, theatre schools do do not encourage frivolous behaviour and do not encourage overacting. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff I don't understand. Uh, this is possibly for another day, but um, considering John Nathan Turner's adoration of musical theatre and high camp, mm. um, why would you hire Bonnie Langford and never find a pretext to have her sing and dance?
0: Well, that's, a, yeah, that's a good question. But, but uh, I mean, your reference to theatre school there is interesting to me. I think she seems like a theatre actor on TV. And, uh, and I think that's part of the problem. She can't modify her performance to be suitable for TV. It always seems over the top in the way that when you act on stage, you do have to be a bit more over the top, you know, because you've got to make sure that the person at the back of the room sees your performance just as surely as the person at the front of the room.
1: Yeah. It's the the over-enunciation of everything and the the, uh, um, excessive arm gestures. That's it. That kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, it's weird, isn't it? Um, so, uh, on paper, this looks like a dream gig for Richard Briers. Uh, mm. Show this to me. So, basically, you take, you take the sinister aspects of the Tom Good character and the ever-decreasing circles character. You take away all of the comedy, and that's what you're left with, and that's your villain. And I'm like, yes, 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 yeah, please, yes, yeah.
0: of course, yeah, um, sounds great.
1: And the the only possible explanation for me is that the producer was consistently overarching the director on this and it and it, it was the producer um, who was telling Richard Bryars uh, it's only doctor who have a laugh send it up Treat yeah it as a piss-
0: yeah but wouldn't, the pist- wouldn't the wouldn't the wouldn't the piss I nearly said wouldn't the producer have been John Nathan Turner is that really the kind of thing he'd have been saying to his lead actor
1: um, i think John Nathan Turner gave so few fucks about doctor who or his career um, or anything but getting off his face at that time in his life.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think we've spoken um, before about that, how, how he unfortunately kind of um, declined and disappeared into substance abuse.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I, 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 it's fairly well known that um, he, he badly wanted off Doctor Who. Um, the... the the peculiar thing is, and I, I don't think for a second he did this out of kindness, because, um, I mean, he, he, was, he was behaving very obnoxiously and very unpredictably in public. On mm. um, one occasion, um, he, he fired Peter Grimwade um, and told him he, he could never work on the programme again because Peter Grimwade had made arrangements to take his cast and crew his, and he, he sent the invitations out for his cast and crew, mm-hmm. that story he was working on. He made arrangements to take them out to dinner. John Nathan Turner felt personally slighted that he wasn't asked along, even though um, uh, I don't understand how a senior executive in a huge corporation can't understand that when the workers want to go out and have a pisser, the last thing they want is their fucking boss breathing down their neck while they're doing it.
0: Yeah, of course, you know. They know they- understand how- yeah, but it's just like any work environment, isn't it? You know that the you know the guys the guys down down the foundry don't want don't want the fucking you know stiff in the office with them when when when, when they're sinking a few points, do they?
1: No, absolutely not. Mm. And I mean, and anyone with any sensitivity or understanding of workplace dynamics would have realised that. Um, Peter Grimway claims that he'd sent John Nathan Turner um, and the other senior executives a different invitation for a different night to go to a different place with them.
0: Sure. More appropriate. Um, yeah.
1: But, yeah. Uh, but in any case, John Nathan Turner, choose, uh, chose to take offense at that on another occasion. And I believe it was a convention appearance. Um, Nicola Bryant and John Nathan Turner were uh, were on together. Nicola Bryant was wildly more popular mm. um, and got asked a lot more questions and got asked for, and um, uh, John Nathan-Turner did something very, very, very insulting to her in public. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, the the guy clearly had social issues. And I think at this point in his life, he was self-sabotaging. You know, he was um, he was doing that thing where, you know, believing that he deserved rock bottom or he needed to get to rock bottom. And he was determined to engineer that for himself. Overweight underpowered museum piece.
0: Welcome to part four of the show. This is called overweight underpowered museum piece. Uh, Here we talk about production costumes, effects, direction, etc um i've not really got much to say here doc because you know it, 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 i don't want to get into ju- like like a, a, a puppy kicking activity because i think that's all that's all it would be for if I, if I started ranting i mean you know the, the, who thought it was a good idea to employ the the, the robot from from Chocker block as one of your villains i don't know
1: Um
0: but as Black, aside from that, Black, The floor is yours,
1: sir. Um i mean it's it's cheap, and it looks it yeah um the costumes are horrible
2: hmm
1: um I mean, they really are hot um once again it it doesn't even make sense in the context of my clockwork orange done in the style of play school thing um, I mean uh, the the kids, the kangs and pecks. Um, are presumably no longer have mummy around to do their washing up. Shouldn't mm. they be a little bit scruffier?
0: Mm. <laughs> you, you think the clothes are too clean?
1: Well, everything's too clean. They're too mm. clean. Mm. They're, 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 supposed to, they're supposed to be children who've been allowed to run feral, unsupervised, yeah, they're, they're, in a time tar- years. Ago. Yeah, they're street urchins, aren't they,
0: apparently? But they, but they don't look it.
1: No. Um, I mean, what's, what's the yellow kang? Is that ever explained? Well, the, 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 the,
0: you've got, you've got a yellow kang and blue kang, haven't you? The, 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 there's more than, and, and maybe even green kang might be mentioned. Aren't they just like, rival gangs?
1: The blue kangs and the red kangs are the, the, the main rival gangs. That mm. Then um, there's, it looks like um, the, there's there's a thing in a wire cage that's and. I've toyed with the idea that it's like something out of Cannibal Holocaust, and it's the last member, it was the last surviving member of a gang that they've exterminated, right. and they've like left her corpse, or preserved her in some way, and put her on display.
0: Mm. Either as a trophy or a warning to others, one or the other.
1: Well, just like in Cannibal Holocaust, as as, 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 as both, as a um, as, as, as a village totem.
0: Sure, yeah, yeah. I, I, I must be honest, Doc, I, I totally missed that, I, I I think my brains were gradually dribbling out of my ears. So I I have literally zero recollection of that, even though I watched it this afternoon.
1: It's one of those many, many, many good ideas that gets mentioned once. And I mean, obviously, if it did start out life, haha, if it did start out life as the thing that I think it is, um, then you can understand people shying away from that.
0: Mm. I, I'm, I'm going to. I am going to mention one one nice bit of production, actually, uh, which 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 again is related to the two old women, because was, I mean, by far my favourite part of the, the whole fucking story was when you know you know when Mel was in the flat with those with those two guys. Um,
1: the be because could it be because that's the part of the story with proper actresses, isn't it?
0: Well, I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? Because their performances are good. Um, I mean, they're clearly having a good time. As You know, actually, in, the real individuals are, are clearly having a good time. But I actually thought, you know, the the the, the set looked pretty good as well. You know, I'm, I'm, I mean, as you can imagine, you know, the fact that I'm having to mention, the, you know, like a living room, ki- oblique stroke kitchen set as being one of the highlights of the production kind of shows the depths I'm having to plumb just in order to find something positive to say. Um <laughs> But yeah, you know, I didn't mind that. I didn't mind that that, that set dressing doc. How about that?
1: Um, yeah, um, it had a nice living room in it. It did. It did. Yeah, you're right, and and lovely knives. Um, I have a final thing to say, which is a few weeks ago when we were talking about the Daleks, mm. I said I, I mentioned that the Daleks had the first entry of what I'm going to call occultic Freemasonic imagery mm-hmm. into Doctor,
0: and you and threatened in that particular episode to, 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 to kind of tantalise tantalize us with occasional breadcrumbs. Is this our first one?
1: This, this is the last appearance of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Croagnon is known by one and all as the great architect, um, and in Freemasonry, the great architect of the universe is the placeholder for whatever god you worship. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's explicitly not... Um, it's explicitly not... Yahweh or Allah or Vishnu, it's its the great architect of the universe is a placeholder for the God that you worship, which can be anything.
0: Yes. Yeah. The God of your choice, basically. Yeah.
1: Um, and it's it's interesting that that expression should make its way meaninglessly into the script, because there's there's nothing. There's nothing else remotely Freemasonic or remotely occultic mm. in, in any part of the script. Apart from this very odd use, so like, why would why would the great architect, why would the god of your fathers, in Abramic terms, um, be designing tower blocks, and then why would he be hiding in the basement?
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and it's it's almost like the use of occultic and Freemasonic memory uh, imagery in Doctor Who has become a folk ritual by itself. Um, so, in other words someone somewhere along the line has got the idea that from time to time you're supposed to mention something to do with the occult or something to do with freemasonry and doctor Who. everyone's forgotten why everyone's forgotten how to do it they've just got an idea that it's something you should do so someone just decides to put a reference into the great architect
0: mm-hmm. yeah it's very very curious and then my last uh production point um <clears throat> is the real the, the the realization of quagnon kind of in the basement um i mean the the the, the 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 what looked like kind of bits of wire kind of roughly shaped into what could be passable imitations of a light bulb with glowing glowing eyes and a bit of dry ice with a bit of backlighting
1: i mean it it, it was tough to swallow doc I mean, this is, that's another thing that makes me think maybe just maybe this tiny part of the story was influenced by the house, by the cemetery. Yeah. Because long before you get to see Dr. Freudstein in full, you get to see his glowing eyes in the basement. Oh, yes.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: And uh, something you said earlier that I hadn't thought of in that last episode, I think someone said to Richard Briers, like, act like, act like a monstrous killer zombie. Mm -hmm. Behave like, you know, um, act like a zombie yeah but, uh, you know because i don't know he he was a bit like um
0: what's the name of the what's the name of the zombie that can kind of almost talk in day of the dead is it is it bud or bud. Bud? Bud. bob bob yeah. yeah you know he kind of had kind of had echoes of of of, of that guy's performance but, but just lacking all the nuance you know
1: or lacking being good <laughs>
0: yeah yeah
1: i'd point out that um, Bub the zombie turns out to be the most like, like. By the end of the film, Bub the zombie is the character you're rooting for the most. You're the one that you, uh, you, you really hope Bub gets away and is all right in the. Well, end.
0: that's that's right. You know, Bub Bub's the one with the most humanity in the, in the whole damn story, isn't he? Um, yes. First came the night, then came the dawn. Now comes the most eagerly awaited day in horror film history.
1: By the creator, he visited a curse. Hello? is there anyone
0: there? For the few remaining, their only hope of survival is to find a cure.
2: You're wasting time trying to define what's happening.
0: We're kind of coming to the end of our time here, Doc. Have you got anything pressing that you really want to get off your chest before we before we call it a night?
1: Yeah. So, um, I set out spoiling to pick a fight in favor of the story i i I wanted to find stuff i liked about it Mm. concept i think is a good concept the idea that you you take all of these potentially very depressing um, and very difficult to handle concepts and in order to still present them and do them in the spirit of experimental theater which doctor who has always had a hand in you do it in the style of a kids program Mm. I still don't think that, that that I still don't think there's anything wrong with that concept. I think you could pull that I, I think a good director could pull that off. Yeah. Um unfortunately that guy wasn't around the day they filmed this. Mm-hmm. Because it, there's there's no way this took more than a day. No. Um but but in your defense though doc,
0: you know you 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 set out with with a manifesto not to be kind of overly critical and, and not just to pound on this story and and I think you've succeeded in your ambition there. I think you've been very very fair and balanced. Um, in fact, you know, I think in general we've we haven't been overly unkind. You know, despite my initial rant, I think we've been,
1: I think we've been we've been we've been kind enough to it. Um, are you prepared to? I mean, here's, here, here's here's what I owe this thing. Yeah, um, and you, you know this. Here, here's what I owe to it, um, and I owe it the so the, the same chance that I I owe to everything. You would be within your rights to come back at me and say um, that me I can enjoy the most incompetent badly played punk rock or indie pop imaginable um so don't you dare talk to me about quality control or, or, or being being good at your craft because you love tons of stuff that's absolute crap. I love Jess Franco. Um I um I love Jean Roland um I love Filipino midget films. <laughs> um, things things do not have to be good quality for me to enjoy them Um, but they they have to have some this comes closer to like one of those films that set out to be for a cult audience and they're constantly nodding and winking at you and going look how bad this is Mm. what we want you to do is to say this is so bad it's good and tell your friends about it
0: Mm. I think the difference between that, you know, oh, sorry, Doc. I, I think the difference between Doctor Who and those kind of, you know, kind of low grade exploitation fodder products that, that, that you're referring to, you know, which we both have a great love for, you know, I'm a sucker for a melt movie, for Christ's sake, you know. Um, I think the difference is they deliver on what they set out to achieve. Boobies. Well, you know, you know, just gross out effects, nudity, titillation, you know, shock subject matter. They, they deliver on all of these things. Doctor Who, at its best, delivers on all of those things. And it's that potential that we know is within the story that makes this era of Who so damn frustrating for me.
1: It is fr- frustrating as the word. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't feel it. It doesn't have the same vibe as a Sarah Records cutie band from about the same year. You know, it, it doesn't feel childishly enthusiastic.
2: enthusiastic.
1: Mm. Um, it doesn't. It, it doesn't feel like it possesses a wealth of imagination that far surpasses its own ability. Um, it feels tired and slack and half-assed. Yeah. Despite being only three episodes, it does not fucking drag. It feels like twice the length of Doctor Who and Sally in to me. It's four episodes, Doc. Be careful. Uh, who fucking cares? <laughs> <laughs> You're quite right. You're quite right. Um, but I'm just saving you from nasty letters. But you are correct. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on, honestly, this is that, thats the spirit of Lassitude that the experience mm. of watching this thing leaves me with. I—I um, I feel like I've given it the effort which I owe to literally anything, and I—I mm. still end up feeling woefully unrewarded. Yeah. You you mentioned effort there, Doc, in your kind of wrap up thoughts there, and
0: and, and to me that that's the it, that's the big problem. This just feels shoddy, thrown together, no effort, no thought, no love, you know, no passion um, from from anybody involved. I, I, I thought it was a. I've tried to be positive, but I'm going to end on I'm going to end on a. I thought it was a fucking disgrace to be honest, Doc. Yeah, and I mean the peculiar. I
1: absolutely agree with you about how it comes across. As we'll begin to discuss the next time we roll around McCoyland, um, the really peculiar thing is that this wasn't only the work of tired, jaded, old industry professionals who didn't want this. Um, There were some genuinely youthful, enthusiastic, energetic as fuck people involved in all of this (laughs) crap. And I think now, before we get to the end of the season, um, my self-guided mission is going to try to be what went wrong because i've read stuff that these i've read material including interviews that these, that these people have taken part in and they're true believers mm. they love doctor who and they wanted to create great doctor who and i think they had the potential to do it so what i aim to do from now amongst many other things is to try to figure out what was in their way and stopping them from putting what was in their minds on telly
0: yeah uh, doc are you prepared to uh to, to drop a score on this particular story, in your own inimitable way, with your with your own crazed rating system.
1: It's actually hard. It's it just slides more and more towards zero. It just slides more and more towards the bottom of the curve. Yeah. Um. It's got a few good ideas, and that's why it'll push to two. It'll it'll push to positive two. So positive it's got two. Got some good ideas in it. Yeah. Um. So- you know, execution lamentable, um, enjoyability factor uh, zero. Uh, <laughs> know, it's got some good ideas. Yeah. It's, it's got some good ideas, and, and yeah, that's, that's why it can get positive too.
0: I'm going to, on my sensible, rational, logical scale, Doc, yes. <laughs> casting those stones, um, I am going to afford. This particular offering, three out of ten, and the only reason you, you may think, well, that's astonishingly high, Mo, based on what you've been talking about this episode, it gets a three. I agree with you. There are some, there are some good ideas, if not great ideas, that occasionally kind of threaten to emerge. And I do love the the, the two old women so much. I would feel terribly guilty not to not to give them a point each. So that's that's why it gets the three out of ten for me. All right, guys, that about does it for this episode of DDSOS. Join us next time when we will be discussing Christopher Eccleston's second story, which is, of course, the end of the world. Sounds rather dramatic. I'll see you then, Doc.
1: See you later. Bye-bye.